Hello, Real Talk listeners. Welcome back to our last episode of the best of and the worst of. But this is a little bit different because this is our Dear Abby session, but it is really Dear Real Talk. So we have a question from one of our listeners, Michelle, and it is Dear Real Talk. I'm a leader within an organization that inherited a group of dysfunctional employees. I don't want to come in and clean house, but I'm really struggling to get them on track. Can you please help me? It's very interesting, Michelle. This happens quite often for a number of reasons. When we, you know, speak with leaders, sometimes what we've identified are two different things within them coming into the organization. A, the employees aren't exactly how they want them to perform, even though they're high performers or normal performers, or they are seriously and truly a dysfunctional team, which oddly enough, we just had a series on dysfunctional teams in September, but this series, obviously, we've been talking about the best of and the worst of, and we've been talking about coworkers and bosses and all of that. However, Now we actually have a leader that's saying, I've had the best of and the worst of employees, and now I feel like this is the worst of. How do I fix it? Yeah, you nailed it. You know, unless it's a new company or a new department, which does not happen as often as you might think, uh, you're probably going to inherit uh, the biggest group of your team. Most leaders walk into a fairly formed team versus creating their team from scratch. That means that there is going to be the leftover or the residue of previous leaders' expectations or how things worked in the past. And I know I always use this as an example, and I probably used it three times already in the podcast to talk about expectations. Um, But one of my favorite examples is the fact that even in the same company, when there's clearly written handbooks or clearly written policies on stuff, every leader will work different. And my favorite example of that is to pull a group of leaders into a room and have them raise their hand on time if they give the leeway of like three to five minutes late. And like you'll always get a handful of people that are like, yeah, three to five minutes. If it's not all the time, it's totally fine. Then I'll be like, does anybody ever allow 10? Like it's 10 minutes late, okay. You'll still get somebody that raises their hand they're like, yeah, as long as it's not reoccurring. And then I ask, how many of you feel like on time means dressed in your station by the time you were scheduled? And then you've got another group of people. I know me too. Um, <laughs> another group of people. <laughs> Maria is like, that's what on time means. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that for me, that is like the most clear cut example of the fact that if we can have such different of opinions on a policy. And it's actually attendance is usually in most companies, the easiest policy to write, right? Because you schedule, that's when you show up. And it's the easiest one to hold people accountable to because there's no gray in it. You're scheduled for nine o'clock, you showed up at 9.05. And so if a room full of leaders can have that many differences of opinions on a policy that clear, That means imagine how many variations there are on how many breaks you take or 
the quality of the work you turn in or the number of questions you ask in a project. Like when you get to that thought work or I'm going to call it the soft work that's not clearly defined like projects or the actual thought concepts that you turn in as a part of it. Imagine how different that is. You look, Maria, how many times in your career through boss changes have you had to completely redesign how you create a PowerPoint presentation? Because one boss is like, you can't have danglers and you've got to use pictures. And the next boss is like, put all the information on the slide. And the next one's like, why would you put it on the slide? Then they could read it. That annoys me, by the way. I think that is absolutely ridiculous. And I think I've talked about in one of the episodes that I literally had a boss that would add just one word to every one of my slides just because they needed to find something to edit. So, you know, you are exactly right. And I currently have a leader who literally is like, do not do death by PowerPoint. Do not have all the words on the slides, right? Make it very artistic. And um, I am not super right-brained, isn't that the creative side? So it's yeah. hard for me to make things very pretty. This is what I give to you, Michelle, to do, because that's your strength. I am all about knowledge and fact-finding and the left-brain heavy information and making sure things are detail-oriented. So yeah, it's it's you're absolutely right. I think every boss or leader is going to be different in their expectations. And that's hard because if you inherit a team, that previous leader was completely different with different expectations, right? They may have wanted, they may have been more flexible and allowed that team member to come in at 9.05 rather than nine. Whereas you're like, why aren't they here at nine o'clock? Why aren't they dressed? Why aren't they ready for work? Like this is a dysfunctional team. (laughs) Yeah. So you bring up such a good point. So I want to talk about how is a leader. So uh, the listener asked for advice, right? So how do you start this process? I think the very, very first thing that you have to do as a leader is come in and set new expectations. Now I want to pause because a lot of leaders, especially those that are very action oriented, when I say that, they're going to be like, okay, I'm coming in with a document with all the new rules. That's not really what I mean. I mean, starting from scratch. That means that as the leader, you've got to tell a story of what your visions are, your vision, your goals for your department, as well as the strategy you're going to get there. And then the expectations that you have from them as employees to achieve those goals. So you can't just go in and be like, here's what a PowerPoint presentation should look like. Here's how I expect you to do a project plan. You've got to go in and start with, here's who our department is here's what we're doing, here's what um, and how you contribute to that um, in order for us to achieve our goals. Now, with all of that said, let's talk about what good looks like. And you have got to be clear. In the world of HR, we typically use a phrase. Uh, Maria, it's very possible I stole this phrase from you. But it's always like, if you couldn't tell it to a stranger who doesn't understand your business, then your expectations are not defined in action or behavior-based terms. So think about somebody that completely doesn't understand how or what a PowerPoint presentation is. If you're not describing it or explaining it in a way that a stranger could understand it, you're truly not 
setting your team up for success, right? You're still leaving the window of opportunity for them to figure it out on their own. That's the peanut butter and jelly example. Yeah, it, it is the peanut butter and jelly example. And I'll tell you as a leader, I'm okay with that. I am the creative side of the leader. And so I'll set some things that are clear expectations. And then there'll be other places where I'm okay, I'm okay with the gray. I'm okay that my team doesn't create a PowerPoint exactly the way I would because I do see things visually. I am creative and I don't expect all people to be there. But if you're the leader who does expect them to be like you, you've got to set those expectations. So I think that's the first thing. Decide who you are as a department. Decide what your vision is, where you're headed, the strategy that you're going to need in place from your team to get there, and then communicate it in a group setting. One-on-ones are for individual development. If you are setting expectations for a group, you do that with your whole team together so they all hear the same message. Yeah. No, I think that's important. I think um, if you have expectations and so you're saying, I have inherited a bunch, a group of uh, dysfunctional employees. Are they all equally dysfunctional in the same areas? Right. Or are they dysfunctional in different areas? And that goes to, I think that goes to your right brain, left brain comment. And and it's bigger than that. Um, So that one's like super high level, whether you're super linear and and analytical or you're more creative and abstract, right? But I think the next step that you need to do is start to analyze them as individuals, have conversations with them, start to identify, you know what, a really great tactic to figure out like a no test or assessment involved way to figure out what someone's strengths are versus what their weaknesses are, is in that one-on-one, just ask them, what are the projects or the things that you do in your day that are super easy for you? You can like plow through them with very little effort. Those are usually the things that are that person's strengths. What are the things that you procrastinate on or you postpone or put off to the last minute? Those are typically that person's areas of opportunities. And I would say not only... Is it important for you to find out what their strengths and their opportunities are, but for you as the leader to look at that team as a collective? Um, Marie, I think there are a couple of reasons uh, that you and I have been aligned for so long when it comes to work. And that first reason, we talk about this all the time on this podcast, the first reason is you and I are aligned on what the vision is. We are so okay with going about it different ways. Like it never offends me if you say, no, I don't think that's a good idea. Let's do it this way. Because I know at the end of the day, you and I are trying to achieve something bigger than an individual task. So if your way gets us to that bigger place faster, I'm following it. So that's the reason you've got to start there. But then you've got to look at the individual strengths. You do bring that pause to my ability to get lost in thought. You push me towards action without without even having to, it's not even like you're pushing, like you're calling me every five minutes, micromanaging. It's just, you have that way of saying, hey, when are we going to get this done? We need to push to action um, and outside of creative. So it becomes that balance, but then you follow me. Like when we started talking about what our podcast would look like, 
I said, for me, I really just need to brainstorm this out. I need to pull all of my thoughts together so that we can structure it. And you were there that whole time because you knew it. And as a leader, I think that's what you have to do. Marie and I did it because we know that's what needs to happen. As a leader, it's your job to facilitate that for your employees. That means make that master list of what their strengths and their weaknesses are and see how you start using, it sounds horrible when I say using or manipulating, but how you start using them in the ways that they are good or they are successful. Yeah, so it's um, interesting. Yeah, I love when you say using. But as a leader, you know, you mentioned on one of our podcasts, right? The And you and I have slightly different views on leaders and how they execute on their, you know, vision, right? But, you know, for you, it's the the art of the leader manipulating your team to get them to do what you want them to do and how you want them to do it. For me, it's not manipulation. It's essentially... You're trying to get everybody, you know, trying to lead everybody together as a team and not necessarily get them to do what you want to do, how you want it done, but in a way to get to the same location. I don't really care how it gets done. So it's funny. I do use, <laughs> I, you know what? I use the term manipulation mostly because it makes me laugh because when you think about it, It's that, and this is that place that you and I have um, a different way of looking at it, which is also why we get along. But it's basically like, you know, that you have a strategy and objective, right? Like as a department leader or company owner, this is what good is going to look like. And you've got to find a way to get your team to walk in that direction. But that requires you as a leader behave in different ways. There's also something that I believe as a leader that you have to do that a lot of leaders disagree. There's another thing. There's actually a lot of things people disagree with me on. Um, But another place that people disagree with me is, and I'm just going to call this like it is. I'm not going to try to make it sound pretty or sugarcoat it. As a leader, if your goal, and it should be your goal, is to get a group of people that work for you to get a job done, then... Like it or not, your ass has got to change for every single person on your team. Because we haven't talked about anything like crazy over the top around communication, but people hear what they want to hear based on their previous experiences. You could literally, and there are so many games around communication to prove that people hear different things. You could put 10 people in a room, say the exact same thing at the exact same volume one time. And I guarantee if you pull those people apart, each one will repeat it differently because they're repeating it based on the way they comprehend it. And people are comprehending it based on their life experiences and how it fits in logically into their brain, right? And so if I've got Let's just keep it super simple. If I've got two people, one who is really new and hasn't done the task before, and let's say one that's been in this field of work for a very long time, when I start talking about a project, the one that's been doing it for a long time, they're probably, I'm coining this phrase right now so we can write (laughs) a book later. It's called skim 
listening. You guys have heard skim reading. I tell people all the time I skim listen, especially on topics that I feel like I have the information already. If you ask my family, I skim listen all the time, <laughs> not, not just on topics that I know a lot about. But that's what somebody who understands something really well is going to do. So they're going to pick up the generalization of what you're asking for. But that newer person, they want details. You know, there are some terms that are used in leadership that in the world take on negative connotations, like micromanaging. But the thing is, the context of the term micromanagement changes depending on where your employee is. If you're a new employee and the leader is highly involved, it's not called micromanagement, it's called support. If you are a proven, if you have a proven track record of success and your leader's all involved, it's called getting on your nerves, right? And so as a leader, once you've talked through your vision, you make sure that we're all ready to go, people are aligned with what your expectations are, you've started to figure out what your team's strengths are, what their opportunities are. The next step is for you to adjust conversations, adjust your emails so that they meet the need of the person you're talking to. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a critical component, right? Is um, making each situation unique to that individual and having conversations that are really critical and important and leveraging people's strengths. And if you don't know what your team's strengths are, we can absolutely help you facilitate a strength finder session because that'll help you leverage how one person's strength can really uh, bring a team to a different area and location and um, avenue and what you're trying to seek out based on the other person's maybe weakness or not top strength. So, you know, there's a number of components you can take a look at, but my recommendation, I don't know, Michelle, you know, this, this leader wants to clean house. Is that, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's the, it might need to be done. I'm not going to lie. You know, there are some times where you just inherit a truly bad bunch, but I am a strong component of rising people up or putting them in the best roles for them. It's interesting because at one, uh, one um, you know, a, a couple of organizations ago, I was literally speaking with a leader about somebody who just wasn't a right fit in their department. We move them to an accounting department and an accounting role from a sales role and literally best performer ever, best employee they've ever had in accounting. It's literally they couldn't sell a what what's this, you know, saying they can't can sell a widget, a widget or, a, or or a ketchup popsicle to a lady in white gloves. <laughs> But, and that's me, right? And I say that all the time is if you move me to a sales department, I will fail epically. But that doesn't mean you should fire me. It means you should place me in a department that's going to best suit my needs and my skill set and my abilities. Now, if you're looking at your team and maybe you can't, you know, especially if you're looking at an HR department, there are a multitude of different roles. You can put somebody who's more analytical 
in an HR operations team or a systems team, right? You can move someone who's a little bit more creative. Maybe they're doing analytics right now. Maybe they need to move over to your L&D department. So there are sub-departments within your own team that you can move individuals to. I like to shake things up. That's personally me. Um, I like to, I've moved a team completely from one comfort zone to another and completely changed up their day-to-day routines just to see where their strengths are and to move people to the right roles and have everybody working together and create more collaboration and unity. These are things you can actually do to assess before you're just like, you know what, throwing my hands up, throwing the towel in, I'm done. For sure. I actually, you know, it's interesting. I had an opportunity to uh, be a part of a training delivered by someone else a few weeks ago. And he used a saying that I have also, or at least a similar saying that I have used for most of my career which is set the bar, that people will aim for the bar, but it's up to you as the leader to decide where you're going to set that. So if you've decided that how they're performing today is the best that they're going to do and you're not going to hold the expectations higher than that, then don't expect them to step up their game. People aren't going to, most people are not going to go over the bar or over the expectations unless they're Maria. But if you set the bar higher, most people will work to get to that higher level. So your stance on just coming in and cleaning house, I agree with you. I think until you have been really clear about where you want people to be, that it's not time to just clear house. Now, I'm going to pause a second and I want to segue to a different thing. So. The Center for Leadership Studies, who created a model called Situational Leadership, they have, it's sort of broken up when you start to assess people's performance. It's broken up into two categories. One is really looking at the emotions of a person or the attitude of a person. And then the other is looking at their ability to actually perform the job. So I want to shift gears a little bit and I want to talk about the attitude part of that conversation. When you're inheriting a team, if you're saying that they're dysfunctional from an attitude perspective, I'm going to be honest with you, all that stuff we just talked about, the whole vision, setting expectations, blah, blah, blah. That's when we're talking about performance, not when we're talking about attitude. So when it comes to attitude, I would say you still have to know what your vision, your strategy, and your expectations are. But this is when you're having a one-off conversation with someone and you're just making it clear that these components of how they show up for work, by the way, in 2021, I think we should ban the phrase, how do you show up for work? It's very (laughs) annoying. But you've got to talk to them about the, the way they show up, whether it's being confrontational in meetings, whether it is gossiping after meetings with different employees, whether it is stabbing their their peers in the back and talking about them behind the back, those kind of things, that attitude part of the thing, those things you can't drag out. You've got to get really clear and say, this has got to stop immediately if you're going to continue to work here. Yeah. Now, I would say keep in mind 
And this is always that hard place where a lot of leaders struggle being that firm. It's okay to acknowledge or respect that they might have reached this level of frustration because of previous leaders. It might have been, they might have gotten to this place because of something that was done to them, not because of who they are. But what you have to do is just go in and be clear. I acknowledge that you know, having three bosses in the past five years was probably tough. I acknowledge that there were a number of challenges with your previous boss. I acknowledge that stuff, but then say, moving forward, my expectation is that you assume positive intent from me unless I do something that deserves your distrust. Yeah. I mean, it's tough, right? Because when you're talking about attitude, someone's attitude could be in place because they're jaded. They had ideas previously that were shot down. And um, how do you keep up that momentum or that motivation when your previous leaders kind of dismiss them? So it's a little bit tough to kind of start and open up a fresh new page in a, in, a, in a fresh new book. But I think you have to, as a leader, identify that and help them overcome that based on your communication and not just have that as an expectation without communicating that. And I often think a lot of times what we've found doing assimilations with new, leader, with new leaders, what we've often found is that Employees just want someone, especially those disgruntled or frustrated employees, they really just want someone to say, I get why you would be here. Now I'm going to ask you to take, it's almost like, um, you know, if you've ever worked in a customer facing like retail or restaurant industry, we always train employees to say, sometimes the customer just wants to be heard. They don't actually want you to fix anything. They just need to be able to say it. The same thing applies to your employees that are frustrated. Sometimes they just want to be heard. They know you can't undo the past. They just want that acknowledgement that someone can appreciate why they're frustrated. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes sometimes it's that. Sometimes, let's be honest, it's that's not going to help them move past it. It's got to go. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes they have got to go. And that's a, you know what, that's okay too. It's another one of those things I think working in HR helps you to get to. For me, it was actually prior to HR. I, I had a really amazing uh, loss prevention manager at an organization that I worked for. And he used to give us a loss prevention statistic where he said, you know, if you had 10 people, one in 10 people will do the right thing always, regardless of what's going on or what the rules are. One in 10 people will do the wrong thing always, regardless of what the rules are. And then the rest of them, they're really just sort of looking at the majority of behaviors and they're sort of just following the crowd. So if the crowd has decided something is acceptable, they'll probably do it. When he explained that to me, um, because we actually, we had to terminate someone for for theft um, and I was so frustrated, I was so mad at this person because, um, I mean, like I was mad at the person and he's the one that really talked that, by the way, I was also 19 years old <laughs> and uh, highly emotional. Um, but he's the one that really talked me to a place where I could say it was a bad choice. It was a, a completely unethical choice that that employee made, but 
they have to, you know, there are consequences to that action, but we're not going to judge that person's entire life because they made this choice this particular time. And I think that that, for me, that also applies to that person who's so frustrated or unhappy, you've got to let them go. It's not a judgment call. We're not saying you're a bad person. We're just saying you don't fit here. Um, And that's okay. Go find the place that you do fit. You just don't fit here. Is that what you're going to tell them? You don't fit here? That's, you don't (laughs) fit here. You don't fit. Good time. Sometimes that is what you need to say. Yeah. So I think that's good. You talked about earlier, you know, it's really important for leaders to set the bar and not necessarily keep it. If this is where your employees are at and it's a low bar and you expect it to be higher, how do you really move that bar without pissing your employees off? Right. So, you know, it's interesting. I've had a previous leader say, we need to elevate our team. We need to maximize our efficiencies, blah, blah, blah. We need to optimize our, you know, system usage and we need to, you know, we need to step it up or, or, or step it out, you know, and it's sometimes I'm like, what, what the heck does that mean? What do you want? How am I, how do I raise my bar personally? What does that mean? That is so funny. So like every single thing that you just said that your boss, your previous boss said, all of those words are going on the ban list for 2021 (laughs) because they're all dumb. Um, Corporate America says the dumbest things ever. (laughs) Have you ever noticed that? And things just become like buzzwords and then everybody says it until um, you reach the stage of ad nauseum. Um, How do you disrupt the world? We're going to disrupt the world. (laughs) So I think that where that starts, it, it does go back to both combined meetings, but in this particular place, it's more about one-on-one or development. So if you were working in an optimal team, I would say that one-on-ones need to be led by the employee. They need to focus on the employee's development, what makes them happy. But when you're forming a team, those are the places where as a leader, you do have to step in and give more guidance. And that's, it's where you start. But You've got to have those one-on-one conversations where you talk about, here's where we are right now, and here's where I need you to get to. You know, it's funny, and we used to, um, at a previous job, when we would onboard uh, directors, we would, we would tell them all the time, the higher up the ladder you climb, the less actual guidance you're going to be given. The problem with that, and it's the big problem with that, is that unfortunately in our world, you weren't given a lot of guidance at the lower levels either. And so a lot of times you're stepping in and you're seeing someone in a position because it's a particular title and you're making some assumptions that they should know something different. If you don't start to have those conversations and get honest about what they do know, what they don't know, where they're struggling and what the gap is between where they are and where you need them to be, then you're not going to help them get there. You're just going to get frustrated and give up on them. Um, And I think the easy answer, even for those of us, those people in the world um, that are always good at describing the behaviors that need to change, it is easier to slip into the generalization that is daily conversations. I need you to up your game. I need your PowerPoints to be better. I need your 
projects to be finished quicker. Um, I had a boss once that told me, why did I need a deadline? Couldn't I just get it done? I'm like, get it done when? (laughs) Fast. Because fast to me is tomorrow. Fast to you might be a week from now. And I think that because our culture lives in this place of generalization, it's easy for us as leaders to slip into that place. And it goes back to asking yourself, are you saying things like your PowerPoints need to be better? Because what the fuck does better mean? (laughs) So that's the thing I think, and maybe you can channel that question exactly like that when you're trying to elevate someone's game and you go, I need their communication to be better. What the fuck does that mean? Does that mean you need me to use seventh grade words instead of 12th grade words? Does that mean you want me to use an Oxford comma? Does that mean you want it to be what? See, it could be the, the context of the communication that you want to be better. It could also be the frequency of the communication. And as the person getting that feedback, I'm not really sure. So. When you go, I need your communication to be better. Now you're assuming that as I internally assess what might have been a problem with my communication, that I'm going to figure out exactly what you meant. I started improving the frequency of my communication, thinking that would get better. And you're still pissed off. And I don't even know why. So what does raise the bar mean? I'm sorry, guys. Sorry. It sucks to be in charge. It means you got to sit your ass down and you got to stop using words like better or stronger or more creative or innovative or disruptive or faster. Those words are not descriptive and they're not going to elevate someone's Mm -hmm. bar. So sorry, your life sucks. That's what you got to do. I hear you. Fantastic. And by the way, your life doesn't suck because you actually have the ability to take a group of people to really cool places and get really great things done. It does, however, require that you exert a whole lot of emotional energy mm. to get there. Yeah, it's not going to be easy. Mm-mm. So to our listener who wrote in to us, uh, should you need some assistance or any of our other listeners, contact us. You can get on to realtalent.com or you can reach out to us for um, any of the described resources we can provide you that we talked about on today's podcast. And, you know, we did give a little bit of a hint as to what's coming in next month's podcast, but... Tune in as we get into Culture 2.0 to prep for our upcoming conference. So I'm so excited. Yay. Stay tuned, everyone. Take care. Until next time. Bye. Bye, guys.